0: follow community what's up those of you listening in real time and who live in the u.s and who can vote tomorrow i'm hoping you exercise that right i mean it's one of the beauties of our country get to vote for who will lead us and i've been listening to a podcast called wicked game american elections it covers every presidential election from the beginning until now and i'm not that far into it i'm The election of 1800, which I'm really excited about listening to because Congress had to decide who was president that year, uh, which is crazy to even think about if it got to that place now. Anyway, it's a good reminder that politics has always been a bit contentious and unpleasant. And if you're into history, yeah, I would recommend it. Wicked Game, American Elections. For those of you who are listening and you don't live in the U.S. and you can't vote, or if you're not listening in real time, that doesn't matter either. So I hope you have a lovely Tuesday tomorrow. If you're new to our podcast, we don't usually talk about other podcasts or the general election of the United States, but really our goal is to help technical artists to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. And we do that through everything that we do, this podcast, Philo Coaching, Philo Staffing, and the Philo Conference. And you can learn about all these things on our website at philo.org. And speaking of the Philo Conference, if you haven't heard, we've got dates for our 2021 Chicago Philo Conference. Which are May 11th and 12th. This is a Tuesday, Wednesday, kind of our normal two day run in the middle of the week. And you know what? Our big incentive to win free coffee for a year is now over, but you can still get tickets at the super early bird price with a discount for four or more people. So, yeah, why don't you go check that out? You know what? For us, plan A is to meet in person again at Willow Creek Church, but we're also simultaneously working on a plan B, which will be some version of online. And so, either way, The ticket you purchase now, it will work for both plans, and we'd love to see you there or virtually see you there. But again, plan A, together, can't wait. We're excited to announce our first two main session speakers. You've probably seen it on social media if you follow us there. But Carlos Whitaker, he's an author, he's a speaker, he's a former worship leader. And you know what, since all of us collaborate with worship leaders... And worship pastors you know i love that we get to a chance to hear from that perspective someone who gets what it's like to do services week in and week out that yeah, should be good our other main speaker is justin firesheets he's the production director at church of the highlands in alabama he's a really great friend and he's like one of the classic philo people uh, he lives and breathes local church production and he's one of us which is the best And I'm really looking forward to this next file Conference. And I hope that you choose to come and join us. Now onto the podcast. The guest for episode 52, can you believe that? 52 episodes. It is uh, Nick Benoit. And he's an actor, a creative director, and a pastor. He's a good friend. And I've had the pleasure of working with Nick over the past six years on weekend services, on conference, both in the United States and in Germany. We had a really great time having Curryverse together at the original verse stand in Bochum, Germany. And then we immediately went and ate a Duna Kebab, which if you know what those are, then you know. If you don't, look them up. Anyway, you might remember him, not from eating Curryverse, but from Philo Conference. He's been part of what we've done the last couple times, either on stage or on video or teaching a breakout. We had a really great conversation, so let's just get right to it. How's it going, Nick? I'm great. Uh, Nick and I, we worked together for a few years. We overlapped at Willow Creek Church. And I want to say the first time I met you was probably in an interview, like you were interviewing for the job and... The gauntlet
1: of interviews. Yeah, and I
0: was one of the many people that you were required to talk to, and... uh,
1: (laughs) It was a pleasure, though it was a requirement. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Thank you for saying. Yeah. I can't, I mean, I remember the days of the, uh, the gauntlet of interviews and, uh, yeah, I don't wish that on anyone. No, really. it's pretty brutal. Yeah. Cause at the end of the day, I'm not sure how much you can really know about someone or the, someone can know about the organization right. just from an interview. Yeah.
1: Anybody can fake it for a week.
0: Right. <laughs> I think I probably was, uh, this is usually my thought process when I'm interviewing somebody. I thought, there's no way you have any idea what you're about to get into. (laughs) And it doesn't matter where, what organization or whatever, just that thought of there's no way I can encapsulate what you're about to step into. Oh, gosh, that's so true. (laughs) So, yeah, you seem like a nice person. Let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, what year was that that you started? 2012, maybe? Oh, my gosh. Uh, 2014. 2014, really? 2014. I've been at Willow for six years. Oh, wow. That seems a surprise to me because that was my last year at Willow. It just doesn't seem, seem like we overlapped longer than that.
1: Uh, yeah, I really don't think we did. I mean, wow. I agree with you that it feels like it was longer than that. But yeah. uh, because, I mean, I started January 1st, t- okay. 2014. I mean, ironically, my first day of work was in the midst of the polar vortex. Oh my gosh. And my wife and I had just moved from Southern California. Uh-huh. And my first day, my first day in the office, they actually closed the office because it was too cold. Oh my gosh. And so how ironic my right, first day at Willow was entirely conference, like
0: video calls, like the one I'm right. doing right now. <laughs> That's so funny. And I think if I recall correctly, your very first assignment was Easter, like the very biggest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like basically I walked in the door and my boss said that we should have already been working on it for two months. So
0: (laughs) welcome to work and uh, don't come in and get to work. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Start writing something. Oh my goodness. So maybe uh, to give a little context, why don't you just talk a little bit about what you do currently and then just sort of the backup and the process of how you ended up kind of where you are now.
1: Yeah. So I am the creative director at Willow
0: and I have Mm -hmm. been for six years
1: and that is part of our larger programming team, which also includes marketing and communications and our worship team. And Mm -hmm. but within the creative discipline in particular there's three of us there's me as creative director and then we have a creative producer and a creative filmmaker and we act as a united trio to make all of the things that could be labeled creative (laughs) that aren't marketing and communications or worship as a part of our weekends, large events all that kind of stuff and I never thought that this was a job.
0: Okay. Growing up,
1: (laughs) I have always been a creative kid. I, Mm -hmm. growing up, I loved to write. I loved to sing. I always wish I were a dancer, but I'm not a triple threat. Okay. (laughs) Growing up, I would write plays and perform them for my family and all that kind of stuff. But the path to the work that I'm doing now probably started in the summer between my middle school and high school year. Okay. A classic story that I went on a summer camp and I had grown up in the church, but I went on a summer camp with my youth group and I had that moment where you sense a call. And for Mm. me, it was a call into full-time ministry. And Hmm. so if you knew me all during high school, I was like the future pastor. That's just like, people knew that that was my track. Sure. But all along I was writing and learning how to make films and, Um, self-teaching myself a lot of creative tools. And I was lucky enough to be at a church that let me experiment, that let me write a lot of terrible stuff. And occasionally (laughs) I'd come up with something (laughs) decent. And Uh I led like a drama team at our church in high school and all kinds of stuff. And those are the things that I loved. I was always in the school plays. I was in choir, all that kind of stuff. But I think in the back of my mind, I always assumed that when I went to college, it would be time to enter the real world. And I would set all that stuff aside and I would get my Christian ministries degree. And I was in my first semester of classes and I'm looking around the classroom at the rest of my fellow Christian ministries majors. And I'm like, these are not my people. These are not my people. This is not my class. Not that it didn't interest me. Interest me, and not that I didn't still feel a call. But I was like, I, I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to preach. I don't want uh-huh. to. I don't want to do premarital counseling. I don't like. I don't want to lead a church. All the ambitions mm-hmm. that all the people around me had were not ambitions that I had. Okay. I would spend all my time in the art building or in the theater building. Um, mm-hmm. Those were my people. Mm-hmm. And so I got confused. I didn't know, I didn't know how to marry those worlds. I at right. the time I didn't see what the connection could look like. Mm-hmm. And so I jumped ship on my Christian ministries major. I went full throttle in theater and communications. Okay. And that's what I ended up finishing my degree in. I spent some time in LA pursuing an acting and directing career and saw some success and an incredible amount of failure. Mm -hmm. And the last straw for me kind of came in, my wife and I had moved to Charlotte, North Carolina after graduation. Okay. And I was working for a professional theater there and it went bankrupt, which was not my fault, by the way. Um, (laughs) But it, it went bankrupt and it was kind of the last straw for me. It was... I have spent so much time pursuing this dream, trying to make something happen in these things, this this arena that I love, and nothing's working. Not that failure is an unknown thing in that line of work, but right. I definitely sense that something deeper, something spiritual was at the root of all of it. Mm-hmm. And I had one of those come to Jesus moments and um I felt like God said, I called you into the ministry, but I didn't call you to change yourself. Hmm. And it was the first time that I saw the connection and felt permission to bring all the creative things that I loved to this calling that I still loved. Hmm. And um, that changed everything for me. And I kind of made one of those deals with God. It was like, great. I don't know what that looks like. If you can find me a creative job in a church, awesome. Within, I think, a couple months, I was the video director at a church in San Diego. And then I was there for about four or five years and then moved to become creative director at a church in Orange County and then um, creative director at
0: Willow. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It is amazing to me. I guess I have a few questions about your story there, and I'm going to forget all but the first one. That's okay. That's okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Failure. I mean, it's something that I think so many of us are afraid of, but is so necessary to personal growth. And I mean, to have to have some kind of a relationship to failure that's positive. I just be curious. Like, did you get used to it? Did you harness it in some creative way? Did or is it just it always sucks and then looking back you're like oh i learned from that <laughs> i
1: think mean, it's probably more that latter category <laughs> oh, crap. i'm not sure yeah. i went after it in any kind of a healthy way <laughs> yeah. maybe to a fault i think i've always been someone who's ready to pivot and okay. it's not that i don't it's not that i don't feel the effects of failure cuz i definitely do i mean mm-hmm. i can Um, If you're familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a four. I feel everything really deeply. So it's definitely Uh, not that I don't feel the effects of failure, (laughs) but I'm really quick to kind of rebound off that wall and go running down the next tunnel I see. And sometimes I've actually faulted myself for that. I think when when you're a creative director, you're expected to have a vision, this like Mm -hmm. grand idea. And yeah. you will beat down any obstacle to protect that perfect <laughs> vision. And I'm not one of those people. I'm okay. one of those people who's like, I have a great idea. And we start running and we hit a wall and we're like, let's change the idea. And we just go a different <laughs> direction. And sometimes I actually beat myself up about that. But I also think it's a great skill because
0: it makes right. me really nimble. I, I, can, I can try to change. Sure. I think one of the things as a tech person so much of how I respond in situations has come from the fear of failure. So Mm. you have an idea, I will say no, because I might fail. I don't know how to do it, so I'm just gonna say no, because failure is right, You know, the possibility of failure is right there. And I think for a tech person, so much of what we do is in the hands of someone else, like Hmm. a pastor, a worship leader, a creative director, that they're throwing things at you that, you don't really have control over. Yep. And so there's, the failure is always kind of lurking out there. And if the only thing I have going for me, uh, this is, I'm overstating this, but this is how my brain works. If the only thing going for me is a perfect performance, like I nail it all. Uh, I'm afraid of every small little failure because mm-hmm. then I'm not nailing it all. And the, the challenge of becoming acquainted with failure and being okay is the wrong word, but like, to say, okay, uh, this isn't working. What can I do differently? Yes. Or that whole idea of being nimble, I think, is uh, something that it's been—it's hard. That's been hard for me to learn that that skill of just saying didn't work. Okay, what am I going to learn from it, and now change?
1: I think anyone who tells you that they love failure <laughs> are like, <laughs>
0: what a crock! Yeah. <laughs> Although I have to say in some ways, uh, I might say this, but I'm, I'll probably um, <laughs> regret saying it out loud on a recording. <laughs> I, and maybe these, this is, failure and mistakes are maybe two different things. Yeah. I love making mistakes. Love maybe a strong word, but. Right. The, Tell me more about I'm, this. Yeah. If I'm trying something new, I'm going to make a mistake. Yeah and if i'm making mistakes that means i'm trying something new i guess i'm i'm separating out the making mistakes for the very first time totally love it i absolutely love i, I love when other people make first time mistakes i love it when i do it i hate second time mistakes like let's just stop making that mistake over and over again but totally making a mistake for the first time means that i'm trying yes and what i
1: i kind of have this theory and it's probably not so clean as a theory, but like I'm a big proponent of develop a ratio for your risk. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Meaning on any given project, there's going to be like one risk for every three sure things. Okay. So we've got Easter coming up in a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. Honestly, we have no idea what's going on (laughs) because hashtag coronavirus. Right. But when I look at an event like Easter to a certain degree, you're, you you can not fail. Like failure is not really an option. You, at the end of the right. day, you have to pull off a great event that celebrates the right things and tells the right stories and moves people toward Jesus. So you have to be successful, but within right. there, you should be taking risks. So mm. what are the sure things that you know you can line up for your Easter program or whatever that thing is so that you can take big risks at moments. Where can you like right. reach for the moon? If you're always reaching for the, oh, I'm, I'm going to sound like the biggest Debbie Downer. Um, <laughs> if you're always reaching for the moon, honestly, you're going to exhaust yourself and you're only ever going to experience failure. But if you're only ever doing what you always do, Right. That's boring. If everything's
0: a sure thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so
1: what is the right ratio of risk? Yeah. I think is always a question I'm asking myself.
0: Sure. The thing I, I also love about kind of taking those risks and trying something new is that every time you do that, your capacity yes. comes up to that level. Uh-huh. And so now it's like the just incrementally over time your capacity for whatever yep. increases because you're you're pushing yourself a little bit All the time.
1: Yeah, you're not only developing skills, but you're developing a tolerance
0: for the unknown too, which I think is important. (laughs) I think that's uh, my t-shirt that I'm gonna start selling. (laughs) I have a tolerance for the unknown.
1: (laughs) Hey, that's faith, right? Tolerance for the
0: unknown. Oh my god, We have a new
1: definition.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think too, even just from a technical standpoint or even a creative standpoint, you try something new, and you'd go through all the work of, okay, how do we even do this? And you solve the technical problems and you buy a new piece of gear and you integrate it into what you're doing. And now you're like, oh, what was impossible yesterday is now like just part of norm. Yeah, we can totally do that. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, which I also love. When I used to give tours of the Willow backstage area and people were just usually, their mouths are wide open and they're like, <laughs> oh my gosh. That there's something that, I would just always remind people like we didn't, this isn't always been this way. It's just been a series of small incremental risk taking to where, you know, after 30, 40 years, this is what it has become. Um, It's not, nothing's overnight, but it's a, it's all incremental. All started somewhere. Yeah. So one of the things uh, we talked about a little bit before we started the recording is just the times that we've worked together, I've really appreciated how prepared you are. A lot of times it feels like in situations I've been in, we're working stuff out for the very first time with 50 volunteers and people sitting around waiting and while we try to troubleshoot or whatever. And I'd be the first to admit that there's, a, there's probably a necessary part of some of that mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Uh, You know, like we're trying something new for the first time. We don't know until we're in the room and it's happening. In fact, we were just on a program in Germany that got shut down because of the coronavirus. (laughs) We, I think we rehearsed the crap out of one little transition thing just over and over and over again. And then we, do we ever do it in real life? I don't know. No. Or did it get cut? I think it got cut. I can't. I can't. (laughs) Or was it the piece? I don't know. I think. I think we. I think we did it right before we got shut I, it down. It might have been, yeah, it might have been yeah. that. Morning. Anyway, but the, there was part of that that okay, we needed to work through some of that stuff. Yeah. But the thing that I loved was that your part, you're coming, you're ready. Do you have a a method to how you prepare or a philosophy of preparation for yourself and maybe for the teams that you're part of?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think it. <laughs> I think it's rooted to my theater background. Okay. It was always drilled into me by my directors that by the time you get to tech rehearsal, mm-hmm. that rehearsal is not about you. Right, okay. That is about all your friends in the technical fields. Uh-huh. By that time, your lines are, your lines are known. Your blocking mm-hmm. is known. The risks have already been taken in your personal rehearsals, in that rehearsal okay. among the cast or... For me, a lot of times it's monologue. So it's in practice rooms by myself for hours so that by the time I walk out on stage, there are no more unknowns coming from me. So that the first time the tech team sees it and the last time the tech team sees it, I will have not changed. And so that they have an opportunity to dial in all the things that they need to dial in. Like Hmm. I, I view it as one of the best ways that I can pay respect to my Hmm. collaborators. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I just have this philosophy. Tech rehearsal is not about us. Not about
0: the, the, the performers. Yeah. I would have to say that I have felt that respect from you just as a person on the other side of knowing that you're showing up ready. Especially in the, the event we just did in Germany, there's so little time right for rehearsal, for us to figure stuff out and to know that you're going to show up, your thing's going to be ready. Right. Because I know that if I walk
1: out there and stand in a spot that's five feet different from the last spot I stand, stood in, that's a, do- mm-hmm. that, that's a domino effect that creates so much work. For a lot of other teams. And the right. same thing is if if I don't know my lines, if I walk out there and can't remember my lines, then the team never gets a chance to feel the timing. Right. They can't do their best work unless I have, I guess, hit the
0: pinnacle of my best work. Sure. Right. That's so good. <laughs> I love you. (laughs) Um, uh, Maybe that's the end of the podcast right there. That was good. Uh, Maybe a question for you about being on stage and being that person. Yeah. Okay, you're totally prepared. You're ready to go. Is there anything that as tech people, we could do better to help your process or how it feels to you on stage or how collaboration feels? Like, is there something not that you need to like maybe put anybody on the spot or whatever, but just, I'd be curious <laughs> what what you've appreciated in the people you've worked with as far as the, that relationship between the person that's on stage with everybody looking at them yep. and the person who's in the booth or totally. in the basement.
1: Honestly, and this is not me blowing smoke. One of the best examples of this is actually you and me in Germany. Um, oh. <laughs> because the role that you play or at least the role that you played this, this last time was mm-hmm. that you were on stage and you were the go between, between what was happening on stage and what was happening back in the booth. Mm-hmm. And I think the most valuable thing for me as a performer is information. Mm. It's amazing how quickly I, and I think many people like me, can spiral out. We can okay. get in our own heads. So for instance, run something, a transition doesn't go well. There's a two and a half minute break while everybody resets. Right. If I don't know that that's what's happening, that we're just right. that we're just going back and we missed a transition, so we need to adjust something in lighting. Give us two and a half minutes, and we're going to run this thing. If I don't know that, mm-hmm. I start to go into my own head and think, "Oh, what have I done?" They're wishing. <laughs> Oh, There's no. a meeting happening exactly. now they're, they're like, talking about <laughs> the, the script is wrong or I, I'm doing it wrong or no one's feeling this or they just wish I'd get off stage. Like it's amazing how quickly you can go downhill or just be standing there going, are we still rehearsing? Oh, am I, am I, <laughs> we well, am, done. Am I yeah, did I forget to tell you. <laughs> yeah, and so just that that constant loop of information, like even over
0: informing people, I mm. think is really, really helpful. Yeah, I think it's so easy in those moments, you know, the two and a half minute moment where I know for me, sometimes like, what are we doing? Like, are we, are you ready? (laughs) Yeah, I'm ready. Are you ready? Oh yeah, we're we're ready. We're ready. We're ready. Okay. We're just standing around doing nothing. Okay. Let's start everybody. Yeah. I think for me, one of the challenges of the, uh, working with people on stage and people backstage is that just the physical distance that exists between. Totally where you are and where we typically are and, yeah, the ability to have an intercom available and or somebody nearby. I think I'm always trying to figure out what's a way that I can just be a human presence. (laughs) Can I just be a human? (laughs) Yeah. Instead of just being like information, like delivered in an informational way and just like in that instance in Germany, you can see my body language, my tone of voice, my, there's, there's less questions and hopefully there's more like, oh, I feel great and I'm okay waiting five more minutes right. because you just explained why. Right. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, I've been so many places where, you know, we would just yell from the booth, you know, to the stage, <laughs> which even if there's not any kind of anger involved, just yelling it just after doesn't a while feel good. just gets old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, And then, yeah, trying to communicate over intercom and all that, there's probably no perfect way. But yeah, I noticed that in Germany, just even being up there for the band, there were so many times just they're talking. And so I could communicate to the production team, hey, just give us 30 seconds. If they're going to solve this problem and then we can get into it or vice versa. Yeah, so helpful.
1: And a lot of times when I'm walking out there um, and I've realized to ask this question now, but the band is all wearing in-ears and right. so a lot of times they're actually getting information that I'm not getting cuz I only wear in-ears for about half the things that I do and mm-hmm. so I've I've learned that I have to kind of give our team a heads up like hey I I can't hear any of the chatter <laughs> is there someone who could just stand near me and and relay right. information so I've learned to ask for that kind of stuff
0: yeah sometimes I wish I couldn't hear the chatter so <laughs> <laughs> consider yourself lucky yeah, that, there's that too <laughs> yeah. just thinking about having to come up with ideas so maybe uh, you know the your first day on the job you got to come up with an Easter idea and then you have to execute it maybe Easter is a bad idea but just I'd be curious how you think about your ideas and how how you come up with them and then even your relationship to technology in pulling those off like do you love the, you know, you said you wear in-ears. Do you love leveraging as much technology as you can or maybe even avoid some of it if you can because it makes it too complicated? I'm asking too many questions all at once. Let's go back to just the idea of coming up with ideas just as a starting point.
1: Yes. <laughs> coming up with ideas. Um, <laughs> It's so seasonal for me um, Mm because sometimes ideas are a precious commodity and then sometimes they're a dime a dozen. Okay. And so what I've had to learn is to be very proactive in my collection of ideas. Mm. I keep a journal and... Uh, I'm one of those people who's always going back and forth between this romantic idea that I will keep a handwritten journal and just the reality and beauty of technology. Um, Uh And so I, I tend to keep a digital journal and I tag everything. So like it okay. might be a single sentence I've heard, or a thought that I had, or a chapter in a book that I read, and I'll write just a couple quick sentences about like how it's kind of developing in my mind or what it could maybe be, and then I'll mm-hmm. tag it with every single topic that it could possibly relate to.
0: Okay. <laughs> um,
1: and so then sometimes because what I'm terrible, I, I'm a terrible brainstormer. Okay. I'm not a I'm not a quick on your feet kind of thinker. Mm -hmm. If someone presents me with an empty whiteboard and hands me a marker and says, start writing ideas, I am (laughs) paralyzed by that experience. (laughs) Some people are so good at that and I've just never been good at that. So what Mm -hmm. I'm better at is when I'm in a circle of people and someone says, you know, this weekend we're doing a message on forgiveness. What do you guys got? I can look back in that digital journal and see, Mm see the things that I've thought before. Okay. And that's almost always better than what I would come up with in the moment. But what I've learned is there's kind of three stages in the process. If we're looking at this in a very simplified form, there's three Uh stages in the process of idea to execution. And it is having an actual idea. (laughs) There's developing and really shaping that idea And Mm -hmm. then there's the actual execution. And I know that at Willow, like a lot of other places I've I've been, it's not that we necessarily have a shortage of ideas and it's not that we don't have the the abilities for execution. It's usually that development phase that Mm -hmm. is the hardest, the longest, it's the most difficult to stay in because you wanna get distracted. Mm. Like you're kind of past the sexiness of the idea in the development right. phase. Yeah. You're kind of already bored by it and you see okay. all of the challenges rather than how great it can be and you right. kind of want to give up. But unless, so we found that we have to spend a lot more time in that development phase. Because I think when I first came to Willow, there was a little bit of a misunderstanding that just because you've done a pitch, it means that it's almost done. Like we, we can go right. film this thing tomorrow. <laughs> and yeah, the longest, most arduous part of the process is taking this little nugget of an idea and turning it into something that can actually be executed right so i find 85 90 of my time at work is spent not in coming up with ideas but in pulling them apart and making little nuggets of
0: ideas great so yeah Yeah, I would say for me on the technical side of ideas that I want to do your idea. I want to make it possible. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a lot of time in my earlier years saying yes, but not really, uh, what's the right way to say it? I shouldn't have been saying no necessarily. I should have been saying more like, tell me more about what this means. Mm -hmm. Or if I told you we could do it if this, that, and the other thing. Or we could maybe do this instead, you know, just that that back and forth process of of uh, like this is what we have. Here are the people. Here's the time. Here's the stuff. Now, how do we match that with with the idea? Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying, "Well, here's the idea. Let's figure out how to make it work at all costs."
1: Yep, that's my favorite part is that that collaboration with other people. Because if I present an idea and everyone around the circle simply says. Yes. And then we walk <laughs> out of the room. I don't operate very well with that because I'm like, mm-hmm. surely this could be better, right? Like, right, yeah. <laughs> I didn't just walk in the room with like the end all be all idea. I, like you just said, Todd, I want to work with people who want to make the idea. Mm-hmm. And a simple yes actually doesn't communicate that to me. That right. just says, Interesting. okay, because it's my job, I will do what you ask me to do. Right. When right. you when when someone actually pushes against it a little bit or says like I think I hear what you're trying to make people feel or have them see, but I feel like it might work better if we did it this that tells me oh we're in this together. That push
0: and pull says that that we've linked arms. Right, yeah. I think too the thing about the back and forth and the pulling apart if uh, if you have an idea and I say, well, we could do this or that or this other thing, like what is most important about your idea? Is it this or this other thing? Or in even that process, you might say, no, it's all important. But even the, even the exercise of reexamining every part of it to say, what is the nugget of this part of the idea versus these other ancillary things that don't really matter. Exactly. just cut those out and this is what we're trying to do. I think it's such a useful exercise. It's
1: so helpful because, so at Willow, we have a pretty arduous pitch process where, Mm -hmm. you know, first usually I'm bringing it to like my little triad creative team. And then usually I'm bringing it to our executive producer. And from there, I'm usually bringing it to our technical team. And it kind of goes through all of these different pitches where I have to sort of sell this idea and bring people Mm -hmm. on and hear their thoughts. And it's not usually until sometimes half, two thirds of the way through that process that I even know, (laughs) that I even know what the idea is about. You know, like I have a Uh general sense. I've, a lot of times I've written a script, but I don't know yet what the most important sentence in that script is. Mm -hmm. The one that I'd refuse to delete Right. until those kinds of conversations get started. Right.
0: So it's so helpful. When I was uh, in college, I was a huge, uh, listened to a ton of Christian contemporary music, the CCM yeah. uh, routine. So yeah. it was like late 80s, early 90s. It was big. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was a nerd, I admit, but it changed my life too. So don't- There uh, you go. Can't, can't argue. But- the thing that happened was one of my favorite artists started producing his own music. Like, so he had a producer and, you know, mm. a team of people mm-hmm. and I loved it. And then he started producing his own music and writing it all himself. And I'm just, Uh-oh. and it just, I stopped listening. Right. It's like total junk. Creativity in a vacuum. But yeah. Because there's no, there's no push and pull and making better. And, um, yeah, that's, yeah, the vacuum makes for bad stuff. It does.
1: Yeah. Don't leave me to my own devices.
0: Yeah. I can remember talking to Blaine Hogan once about the creative process mm-hmm. and he was saying something like, you know, you pitch an idea and then you're just hoping that everybody says, no, that's just not going to work. <laughs> you know, we can't do it. Oh, thank God. You no, know, <laughs> I don't have versus, to make it. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Now like, oh, wait, you like it? Oh my gosh. Ugh, now we have to do it. <laughs> I just promised. Yep. <laughs> oh, I've been there. I don't know how you do it. I so from just my minuscule little of uh, tech brain, I remember it used to like if an idea wasn't working, I would just be like, "Oh, just you know, come up with a new one." <laughs> yeah, just 5 minutes will we'll get you know, we'll dial it back yep. in, you know, just come up with that new idea. Yeah. Oh, Not easy. No. No. We're going to take a quick break from my conversation with Nick to talk about one of Philo's sponsors. Ross Video powers video productions for billions of global viewers daily with the industry's widest range of smart production solutions. Ross makes it easy to create compelling news, weather, and sports broadcasts, engaging material for sports stadium screens, entertainment shows and rock concerts, educational institutions, legislative assemblies, corporate applications, and inspiring content for houses of worship. The folks at Ross have been a great supporter of Philo, helping us to equip and empower the community of technical artists to create unforgettable experiences at our churches. Since in reality, they aren't the ones creating the experiences, you are. Ross provides you with the best tools possible to create the best production possible. With that in mind, Ross has included a worship production episode in their webinar series, Ross Live Season 2. Jeremy Bagwell, the House of Worship Business Development Manager at Ross, will share ways to enhance your volunteer experiences without spending an extra dime using Ross's proprietary Dashboard, a free and open platform from Ross Video for facility control and monitoring. With Dashboard, you can quickly build unique, tailored, custom panels, making complex operations simple. During this live session, Jeremy will dive deep into how and why Dashboard is such a powerful tool that empowers you to do more with less. Watch live on their website, rossvideo.com slash live on November 17th at 11 a.m. Eastern time to ask questions of Jeremy and their Dashboard team. Head to rossvideo.com slash live to register for the free worship production webinar on Ross Live Season 2. All right, now back to the podcast. I think for me, the one of the most effective tools for learning the creative process for me personally was my daughter, when she was very small, she wanted to paint with me. Hmm. And so we bought the little Crayola watercolor, you know, those circles mm-hmm. of color and And I would just sit with her while we did it. Well, I totally got into it and, you know, bought better paints and better paper and real brushes and, you know, just all the stuff. And the thing about watercolor is that it requires a ton of planning. Mm -hmm. And then once you start, you're just kind of like, okay, you know, wherever the water goes, (laughs) that's what this will look like. And I mean, it's a very simplistic thing, but you know, the picture in my head never actually looked like the picture that was in front of me. Yep. And uh, yeah, it was so helpful as a tech person to realize, oh, this is probably what, you know, is going, this is probably what is happening to all these people that are trying to make something Yep. and it's not turning out how they imagined. Yep. Not only that, but like with my paintings, it was all within what wasn't in my control. Everything else was in my control. Yep. Like I, I'm the one in control. But for someone like you, you're, you're developing an idea and then you're handing it off to a group of people to then interpret your idea. So it's like, it's worse than just letting the water do its thing. It's like, I have to trust these people to mm-hmm. treat this the way that it needs to be treated or how I imagined it. Mm-hmm. And I can't even imagine that part of the creative process to say, have an idea and then, okay, here you guys, you, now you... <laughs> Make it into something, and don't ruin it. Oh, I think I think the
1: hardest part is I always okay. I always chide my wife because um, she ah oh, she probably kill me for talking about this. She's <laughs> you not know a person, right, Who she's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's not always the best storyteller. Okay, and the reason is because she leaves out so much important information. Okay, She forgets that you don't know the things that are in her head as she's telling the story. And um, I feel that all the time in the midst of the Mm -hmm. creative process uh, where I feel like I have said the idea over and over and (laughs) over and (laughs) clarified it as much as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. And then there's always a point in the process where I realize, oh, yeah, they were never... I never let them see the whole picture I saw in my head. I mm. assumed they were seeing it, but I didn't describe it to them. Like I, mm. In communicating an idea, I've learned certainly the value of repetition. Mm-hmm. Just because you've said it doesn't mean anybody heard it. Um, <laughs> so encouraging. It's, I, I, most of our production meetings, I feel like I'm just repeating myself, but every single time I see light bulbs go on. And oh. I'm like, well, I said that two weeks ago, but this week we heard it. And it's just the way mm-hmm. that people process information. And when just because you're two thirds of the way of thinking through a project doesn't mean everybody else in the room is. A lot of right. times that that day is their first step, and they're thinking about the project that's being produced for this weekend, not the one that you're thinking about for two weeks from now. And um the value of repetition and incrementally bringing people along on the vision is so important. Mm. But then I've learned I have to constantly describe the things in my head and, you know, I, and find different ways of describing it. And you see this throughout scripture that how often Jesus uses simile and metaphor where he Mm. says, the kingdom is like, the kingdom is like yeast. The kingdom is like a treasure. The kingdom is again and again, he's repeating himself mm-hmm. because he's saying, yeah. last time I said this, you only got part of the picture. Right. Let, me, let me have you see it from a new angle. And mm-hmm. I think the same thing has to happen when we try to communicate our ideas. We have to right. give people the gift of, of looking at what's in our head from every facet possible.
0: Hmm. I think it's that there's probably a psychological term for that kind of like the curse of knowledge, mm. like that it's so easy. I mean, it happens probably to all of us, but as a tech person, you know, you're like, I just assume, you know, all the things right. that have to happen. And so I skip over so much information and usually I get blank stares at the end of it. Yeah. That just, well, <laughs> yeah, the figuring out the line between what's too much information right. and what's yeah, just the right amount. Right. I think, too, as a uh, somebody who's been on the receiving end of ideas, this is the wrong way to say that, the one that's <laughs> like, I hear an idea and then I'm I'm uh, the one that's going to execute it. I think there's a whole bunch of questions that I need answers to mm-hmm. that you have no idea mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. And I would just, uh, for whatever this is worth, you know, on some of that stuff to let yourself off the hook a little bit, you can't say it enough different ways to get at some of those questions. Totally. I think as, as you work with a group of people more, you figure out some of those. Yes. That, oh, I know that, you know, so-and-so is going to They're always going to have this question, yeah. yeah. And so I, I can kind of preempt some of that stuff. But I think on some level, this is something that I had to work on myself is that I have questions that I need answers to, and I'm the only one who knows that. Right. And so I'm not going to get the answers I need without asking the question. Yep. And so, in the creative process, in this development phase, the push and pull, yeah, it's, I think, as tech people, it's our responsibility to enter into that push pull with. Hey, I know you have the answers to the questions that I have. Right. And so I have to ask them. Right. Yeah. It's so good to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who are, can hear, I, I don't know. My son started playing the piano upstairs. so that, <laughs> Instead of, of your kids running wild of through course. your house during quarantine, <laughs> my 18-year-old is uh, playing. It was quite nice. I don't know if you could hear it, but it was uh, <laughs> some nice jazz music. <laughs> and I've texted him, I'm recording a podcast. It's probably on TikTok already, right? Right it is. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, I'm uh for the majority of uh people now I am just simply Carson Elliott's dad. Uh, he has become famous on TikTok and I'm nobody anymore uh, except that I'm his dad. <laughs> it's been a fun journey. I'm looking forward to when I get free stuff from it. He like the mailbox is jammed with like hoodies and shoes and stuff wow. that he, people just send him. It's interesting, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway.
1: You were asking the question earlier about, you didn't say it this way, but
0: the toys that we apply to creative ideas, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Being afraid or embracing like just what technology can bring to an idea. Yes. While you're thinking, I have have one example for myself. So I don't often get up on stage and like preach a message, but occasionally I've done it. And one time I decided I knew the material so well that I didn't want the notes right in front of me. I just said, I'll tell you the order of things and just put it on the screen, you know, in the front row. And I'm up there doing it. And then I just saw them skip over one of the pages. Like I saw it happen. Oh, no. And I thought oh my gosh, what is good? I'm never doing this again. That's what I was thinking (laughs) in that moment. I've never, I'm always going to have the paper in front of me. And so I think there's a part of it, it goes back a little bit to that idea of you're putting your stuff in someone else's hands and you're trusting them with it, that yeah, technology can be amazing, but it also can be, yeah, just like, oh, that uh, don't do that again.
1: Uh, So, I mean, I have a pretty similar experience almost every time I'm, (laughs) on stage because sometimes we are able to produce pieces with enough advance that there have been no recent script changes and I've had plenty of time for rehearsal, but -hmm. we have definitely had those weekends too where it's like there were massive script changes on a Friday and I tell our team like I'm doing the best I can, but I can't have this memorized and our wonderful graphics guy at Willow often does me the service of having the prompter in the back. And mm-hmm. I've also realized the the beauty of that reliance too, mm. of mm. being truly dependent on other members of your team mm. and the way that that can actually build trust too. Yeah, I don't know yeah. that it's a position that I would put myself in intentionally, but maybe we should more because- yeah, interesting. Because like my, my, my relationship with Scott Lambert is one of trust and mutual respect that is even more so because of the ways that we have to rely and collaborate in mm-hmm. moments like that. So there's, I don't know, there's something really beautiful about that. Yeah, that is. But on the question of like, how much, and I don't know if this is exactly the question that you were trying to ask, but how much tech am I, do I get excited about throwing at ideas?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the short and not fair answer is <laughs> the right amount. Um, right? No, it's yeah, perfect. Because like, uh, there are some ideas that should be simple, right? And we shouldn't complicate them. It should be mm-hmm. a microphone and a spotlight, and we should stop. Yeah, yeah. And then there are ideas that should be wow, and yeah. should be permanently cemented in our memories because of the way we treated them, not just because of what they said. And Mm -hmm. what I love, so I'm rarely someone who comes up with ideas based on a cool thing that I've seen. Okay. My ideas usually start from what do I wanna say? And then I try to figure out how to say it. Mm -hmm. Some people actually start with, oh, here's this really cool tool that I could use. What could be best communicated with that? And I find it harder to work in that direction. But what I've loved is when our production team, when our more technically minded folks are constantly staying in touch with those things Mm -hmm. so that when we are in one of those meetings and I'm communicating the heartbeat of an idea, they can say, I don't know if this is right for the idea, but I've recently been researching this new projection system or mm-hmm. you know, there's this light that does a different kind of effect or a lens we can put on a camera that's gonna make things that I think will help accentuate those moments. I love those conversations. Mm. I'm rarely gonna be the one who brings them to the table. Right, okay. And I'm often someone who, I wouldn't say I'm resistant, but I'm always very careful of let's not make the most memorable part of this the way that it looked. Right, yeah. Let's let it be the heartbeat of what it is. And when those things work in tandem, some of the most expensive, complicated things we've ever done are actually some of the things that appear the simplest. Hmm. And some of the things that um, look like they have the most pizzazz have actually been the easiest to pull off. And so there's just, there's an interesting alchemy there that I'm always trying to, to balance.
0: Yeah. I think uh, it's so easy for production to distract people from Hmm. what the message is. Mm -hmm. I think we would normally go to feedback or, you know, lights being off or wrong graphic on the screen, you know, the things that are going wrong or what's distracting people. but. Yeah, I think overproducing something can be as distracting as as those mistakes can be. You know that right. if you if all I remember is there were lasers at Christmas, then I've missed I've missed the mark totally. in a huge way.
1: I, I mean, just like a little microcosm of this moment, we were um, yesterday. I was editing a video over video chat with my team, and it's this it's this kind of meditation on the moment that Jesus gets out of the boat and he sees all these people who have run to the other side of the lake to get to him. And he looks at them and he just says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And Mm. we knew we wanted to do kind of a meditation on what it means to be sheep without a shepherd. And in that whole part where we're telling the story, when we're telling the story of Jesus and his disciples getting into the boat and going to the other side and the crowd running to meet them, I think we felt the need to show all of those things on video. How, how do we represent the people running? How do we how do we represent Jesus getting into the boat? How do we And what we ended up doing is <laughs> that whole section is now covered by wide very long held out shots of a field. And <laughs> it's kind of the exact opposite approach, but what happened when we did that is you you stopped focusing and trying to interpret what you were seeing and hmm. you actually listened to it again interesting and so i don't think it's just a i don't think it's just a production team fault that we like to we like to inject new ideas and new stimulation i think we mm-hmm. all do it and sometimes we have to find the moments to just let something speak on its own too
0: yeah right Alchemy is the right word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's never (laughs) the same. It's not a formula. Yeah, Yeah, I think the minute you get into a formula, it's not working. Exactly. I just think it's, life is a lot easier if if you just give me a checklist and I can go through it. Yeah. You know, planning a service, three songs, Mm -hmm. uh, announcements, Mm -hmm. a message. Okay, just, we know how to do that. And I think it's so much, takes so much more effort to think about what is God speaking to me? What is God? what is the right thing for right now? Mm -hmm. And it's not on the checklist. There is no checklist. Yeah, that that type of living is so much more difficult, but also I think what Christ is calling us to. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Thanks for the reminder.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's just as much for me too.
0: Yeah, yeah, nice. Well, I love uh, the times we get to work together. I appreciate you taking some time. I always love uh, connecting with you. So thanks for joining us. Thank you i always love spending time with nick even if it's just virtual um his talk about the three phases to an idea you know you have the actual idea the development of the idea and then the execution of the idea wow so interesting and that the development phase is the one that we often don't give enough time to but yeah so necessary to make the idea is better. You know, the push and the pull is necessary to turn the idea into the best thing it can be. I also loved his statement that there should be one risk for every three sure things. Yeah, it was so good for me. The need to be pushing ourselves and trying new things. But if everything's new, yeah, we'll just wear ourselves down and probably fail a lot. But the ratio between risk and a sure thing is different for all of us, but definitely worth figuring out. And when I asked him about how much he likes or dislikes technology, his answer yeah, was that it, it's good to be dependent on each other. Just a great reminder that God designed us to work in community and that we do, in fact, need each other. And maybe a quick editorial note, since we recorded this conversation, Nick has moved on from working at Willow Creek. He was kind of feeling like God had something new for him. And, uh, we were emailing back and forth before this podcast went live and yeah, he's got some great ideas, but still waiting to see what's next. And I can't wait to hear what that is. Definitely cheering him on though. All right. So Christmas time is coming and you know what? Now is the time to make sure that you don't hate your life at the end of the Christmas run. Uh, I think I say this every November on the podcast, consider developing a plan so that you come out the other side of Christmas still loving life. So sit down with your spouse, look at the calendar, and make plans for date nights and family time. As my wife would tell me, that just like my team needs a vision for what we're doing at Christmas, our family also needs a vision for why I'm working so hard at Christmas. And now is the time to figure this out. Don't wait until you're exhausted and your family's missing you. And you know what? If you aren't married and you don't have children, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't also take time to construct your life in such a way that you don't burn out during this season. And on the I hate Christmas note, now could be a great time to invest in yourself and your teammates by going through the newest philo resource, the book, I love Jesus but I hate Christmas. It's full of useful principles with discussion questions at the end of each chapter and you can purchase a physical copy, an ebook or the audiobook version on Amazon and if you're thinking about buying multiple copies for your team, you can go to our website Philo.org and you get a discount if you buy 10 or more copies. You can keep up to date with what's happening at Philo by subscribing to our podcast. Uh, You can also give us a review on iTunes. It gives us a chance to help more technical artists to become more effective. And you know what? If the world is full of more effective technical artists, that means that the local church around the globe can become more effective. And so your review helps spread the word about our podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at, at Philo Community or on Twitter at, at philo conference. And you can always see what's happening on our website, philo.org. Or if you have questions or suggestions for the podcast, send us an email at philopodcast at philo.org. All right. Great to be with you again. And until next time.